the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter 20, Detour, Part 1. That was still a lot of work. Heather unzipped her coat and flapped the corners. They stood at the top of the second mountain. Made a huge difference to get a couple of good meals and a night's sleep. Susan scanned the river valley with the binoculars. Wow, so that's the river, Aaron said. I thought it would be bigger and, well, all frozen. The hilltops were rimmed with yellow from the first bit of sun over the horizon. The river valley was still in purple shadow. Despite the dimmer lighting, Susan could make out the blocky brick building of the power station. The dam ran across the loop of the river. She panned the binoculars over to the New Hampshire side of the river. There it is, she thought. She felt the same contradictory mix of worry and excitement she had when she interviewed for the bank teller job. Ahead lay the promise of a better future, yet also the prospect of failure. Is that where you plan to cross? Heather asked. I'm thinking so, but we're still too far away to tell if it'll work or not. Susan tucked the binoculars back in her coat. I can see the power plant down there and the dam, but we're too far away to tell what things are like there. We need to get closer. Well, then what? Heather asked. I don't know until we check it out. Susan untied her waist rope. She tapped Blake on the shoulder. Going down, it will be me, Aaron, and your mom in the back. Think you can take the lead? Blake looked surprised to be spoken to. It was as if he had imagined that he was invisible. Yeah, why me? Why not you? You've seen how it's done. Just take a path that the sled can handle. As the team descended the slope, the three acted as brakes. They had to take side steps and brace themselves with their walking sticks. Fighting gravity was equally as hard going down as it was coming up. Blake looked over his shoulder many times at first, expecting that the sled was going to careen over him. He zigged and zagged between rocks and brush clusters seeking the smoother snow. What if there are people watching the dam? Heather asked. Well, there might be. Need to check it out, get a feel for the activity. Maybe go across at night. Oh. Heather looked pensive as she minded her footing. Well, that's great and all, but uh, what about us? Well, I was looking things over. I could see the little town of Vernon down there. I didn't see a town, Heather said flatly. Well, it's not big, that's true. Susan tried to sound cheery. But there were some houses and farm fields around. I'm thinking there's a chance to find someone down there, someone not creepy, with a kind heart and room to spare. How much extra room can there be when you can't even see the town? Blake, Susan called out, hold up a minute. She fished out the binoculars. Oh, you're doing a great job. Nice flat course. Heather beamed at her son and gave him a discreet thumbs up. A hint of a smile smoothed Blake's worried look. Blast, Susan blurted out from behind the binoculars. What? 
The plant is crawling with feds and soldiers. Susan could see dozens of men in black standing around. Some stood near white SUVs or Humvees. Others came and went from the brick building. Soldiers in varying camo patterns also stood around. She couldn't see details as fine as who was armed or not, but the body language of the little green specks suggested that they were armed. A pair of tan six-wheel transports suggested that there were plenty of soldiers. A few people in civilian coats seemed to be scurrying more than the soldiers or feds. Soldiers? Heather asked. Yeah, and feds, and some other people. They've got to be working on the plant, Susan returned to studying the specs. Maybe they're trying to get it working, send power to Brattleboro? Probably trying to jury-rig the turbine gates to operate manually, since the outage fried the control computers. How could you tell all that from way up here? Heather asked. Well, I can't from up here. I, I knew an engineer who'd worked on a hydro dam. Yeah, but shoot, this means I won't be able to use the dam to get across. You said there were other bridges, Aaron added. What's going on over there? What are all those people doing? Heather pointed to the highway that twisted through the little town and followed the river. Even without binoculars, dark specks could be seen moving along the snow-packed road. Hmm, Susan frowned as she adjusted the lenses. Looks like ordinary people, not soldiers. Looks like they're pulling stuff, sleds. Oh, and there's a horse pulling a bigger sled. Pulling sleds to where? Aaron asked. Oh, no idea, Susan said. They're all headed the same way, though, north. Maybe they're all headed to Brattleboro. That's where the other bridge is, too. What do you say we try to mingle in with the flow? Odds are better of finding you guys some housing in Brattleboro. They waited behind a row of young pines that lined the tall road embankment. When Susan saw that no one was coming, she hurried them down the road. The sled rolled onto its side rather than turn, but everything was securely tied down. They followed the wide trudge path, an expanded tire rut, from the military transports. Let's stash the long guns, Susan said. No one else looked to be armed. We might look like bad guys or something if we're armed. They rolled the rifles into the tarps and laid them in the bottom of the crate. Susan checked the set of her revolver in her waistband. She tucked Kirk's revolver into the waistband of Heather's snow pants. Heather looked over her shoulder with a plaintive sort of do-I-have-to look. Susan frowned and nodded. As they rounded a bend in the road, Heather gasped. Susan saw him at the same time. A lone soldier stood near the side of the road ahead of them. What do we do? asked Heather. We have to walk right past him. Uh, just keep walking, Susan said. She didn't like her own advice. Acting nonchalant didn't seem like a very good plan. Having only a revolver felt like being naked. As they drew closer, they could see that there was an older woman engaged in conversation with the soldier. He stood behind a yellow rope that barred access down the fork in the road. Susan tried to hide within her hood. Just act natural. You're just another person walking along the road. Her self-assurances were only marginally successful. She could tell she was tensing up. 
The guardsman looked annoyed with the old woman, and too busy avoiding her to take much notice of Susan's group. The old woman was doing the majority of the talking. His annoyance with the old woman was somehow reassuring to Susan. When they passed, the old woman looked over. Her face brightened. She excused herself from the soldier. He looked relieved that someone else had caught her attention. You who there? the old woman called out. She shuffled quickly into the road, pulling a pink plastic kid sled behind her. On the sled rested a bundle. On your way to the contribution, I see. Mind if I walk with you? Um, sure, uh, yeah, uh, the contribution. Susan played along without fully facing the old woman. Say, I don't remember seeing you folks on the road before, said the old woman. She pulled her head back and had a hint of suspicion in her voice. Oh, no, Susan tried to sound casual. We don't usually go this way, but with the snow and all. Oh, the suspicion was still there. Susan fished for a diversion. The old woman reminded her of Ruby, who loved to talk about herself. And speaking of the snow, I'm surprised they make you go all the way up there. Don't they have any respect for their elders? Bah, they don't give two hoots. I put in for a waiver on account of my glaucoma and this rash. She pulled up her coat sleeve to reveal a very thin, pale, and blotchy red forearm. But they said that the law is the law, so every week I still got a schlep just like the young folks. That gave Susan an idea to help them blend in. What if Blake here pulled your sled for you? He's quite strong. Oh, that would be wonderful. You're so kind. Uh, old women don't get much kindness these days. Heather pointed and nodded for Blake to take the rope of the old woman's sled. He gave a why-me look, but complied. Susan stopped him on the pretense of adjusting his hood. Don't tell her anything about us, Susan whispered. If she asks about us, distract her with questions about herself. I think she'd love to talk about herself. Understand? Blake nodded, but looked nervous about going on stage. Ah, oh, such a nice young man. The old woman cooed as she handed Blake the rope. And so polite. Susan had to stifle a sarcastic laugh by clearing her throat. Uh, so you have enough for the, um, contribution? Susan probed for more details of just what they might be headed into. Uh, for this week, yes. I got the half-dozen eggs they assessed me at. Oh, but last week the girls came up short and I had to dig into my, uh... She lowered her voice again and looked around. My reserves. I brought a can of peaches. She put a finger to her lips. Susan's wheels turned. Perhaps some people around Brattleboro weren't forced to live in the canton, but were required to bring weekly contributions of food. Was the food tax the price for their relative freedom? She wanted to learn more, but didn't want to appear to be too curious. So, uh, what did that soldier have to say? Susan asked. Oh, him? Yeah, he weren't no help. I just know they's working on some stuff down at the dam. Can hear him banging and clanging. But he pretended like he didn't know nothing. Susan thought she'd throw a log on the rumor fire and see if she could learn anything. 
I heard they were trying to fix the power plant so they could feed power up to Brattleboro. I heard that, too. But my neighbor, Edna, she said it's, uh... The old woman looked around carefully, then lowered her voice into a hoarse whisper. It's the E.C. No, Susan said in a theatrical gasp for effect. She had heard snippets and rumors of the Executive Council in Washington. It functioned like a committee president while the real president was still unaccounted for. Since New Hampshire refused federal control, the machinations of the E.C. were primarily rumors from the outside. According to the rumors, the E.C. seemed to be the shadowy power behind just about everything. Susan wondered how much of it was real intrigue and how much of it was people's tendency to see boogeymen. A small hydropower plant in Vermont seemed a rather trivial thing for the E.C. Oh, why would they do that? Edna says it's just like the food that they swipe from us on contribution days. Oh, no, no, it's true. I mean, they act like it's all secret-like, but people know. Oh, yeah, they know. You just listen to people in line at the co-op. You know something's up. Rations got reduced a third time last week. The woman held up a mitten, which presumably had three fingers held up within it. The woman leaned closer. I'm still putting in the same amount. Yeah, my six eggs a week. So where do you guess it's going? She looked like she expected an answer. Um, Susan squirmed. She knew nothing of what went on in town. A guess would only expose that fact. I heard about a food riot out in Syracuse or someplace because the leaders were double-dipping. Or, or something. Maybe it's like that. Now, bah! The old woman flicked away the notion. I hear that sometimes, too. But the BCC ain't skimming. Ah, heck, they live like nuns up there. And skinny nuns to boot. BCC? Uh, Brattleboro Control Committee? Brattleboro Central Council? Uh, just stick with BCC, Susan thought. Don't slip up and call it all the wrong thing. No, I think Edna's right, the old woman looked around. They've been skimming our food and shipping them down to New York City. Uh, rumor has that they had another big food riot in Queens last week. Oh, I never heard about that, Susan could say sincerely. Ah, of course not. They don't tell us that stuff. The official radio makes everything sound all nicey-nice, all unicorns and clover. I've got other sources, so I think Edna's right. If they get that old plant to workin', it's our power. It don't belong to New York. The old woman's scowl smoothed into a dreamy stare. Oh, how I'd love to spend an evening watching Dancing with the Stars again. Susan thought the woman might not grasp the totality of the outage. She wanted to ask a thousand questions about how things worked in the canton. The more she knew, the better she could blend in and get across the bridge. Asking too many questions was sure to arouse suspicion. For the time being, the woman seemed content to tell Blake all about her many infirmities. "'What do we do when we get to Brattleboro?' Heather asked quietly. "'That lady said they were getting lean up there. Who's going to want to take in three new mouths to feed?' Oh, "'We'll just have to play it by ear,' Susan whispered back. Things might be leaner than they used to be, but they could still be a whole lot better than sleeping in the woods. 
Heather frowned as she processed the alternatives. Several other people had pulled onto the snowy highway from the side roads. The old woman seemed to know most of them. She made passing introductions of Susan and her group as her good friends. No one seemed to question their presence or seemed particularly eager to engage in conversation with the woman. The ragtag collection of walkers were bunching up into a single-file line and slowing down. Sidestepping to see around the people ahead, Susan saw why. Four soldiers manned a checkpoint. They checked each person and bundle going in. This is the first hurdle, Susan whispered. Checkpoint ahead. Must be at the perimeter of the canton. I kind of expected lots of barbed wire and guard towers, said Heather. That, that's how Joe described them. Well, maybe they're not as uh, fanatical up here. Susan could see that the soldiers weren't searching very intently. They did seem to be asking for some form of ID. The people were showing them little white cards. The scene reminded Susan of failing to get through the checkpoint at Lawrence. She felt her pocket, hoping for some advice. It was empty. She was on her own. We don't have any ID, Susan whispered. We'll have to try to charm our way through. You go first in line. Me? Heather sounded shocked at the suggestion. Why? Because you're pretty and blonde. That's not an ID. I know, but pretty and blonde will seem more, I don't know, innocent. They're guys, young guys. They don't think much beyond blonde and pretty. Well, I'm not, Heather cast a quick eye at Aaron, who was all wide-eyed and eager-eared. Heather leaned closer with her hands on her hips. I am not giving myself to them, she said between clenched teeth. No, 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 that's not what I'm suggesting. Susan pushed Heather's hands off her hips, lest others pick up on the tension. You're pretty, too. You do it, Heather grumbled. You're blonde. I know it doesn't make any difference, but it does to them. They won't suspect anything. Blondes just look innocent. Pat your pockets, look for it, but you can't find it. Apologize a lot and smile. You, you have a pretty smile. So you're telling me to play dumb blonde? Heather's fists were back on her hips. Susan moaned a deep sigh and pushed Heather's hands off her hips again. Not dumb, innocent, totally different. I'm betting that they'll let us through because you'll look all innocent and harmless. After all, we're bringing food into the canton, not trying to smuggle anything out. Heather still had some indignation to vent. Well, I still don't like it. You want housing, right? Heather frowned. Oh, fine. She moved ahead of Susan. The old woman and Blake were next at the checkpoint. She showed the soldier her ID card. One of them peeked under the flap of her bundle. He seemed easily satisfied. He signaled to another man who sprayed an orange dot of paint on the right shoulder of Blake's coat and the old woman's coat. The first man waved them on. Heather was up next. She rummaged through her coat pockets and dug through her snow pant pockets she smiled a lot and apologized profusely. The soldiers sighed wearily at the delay. I had it on the table just before we left, Heather said. I was just sure I put it in this pocket right here. She pointed to her breast pocket, and even with a subtle little thrust of her upper body posture, the young man noticed. His eyes lingered. Susan chuckled, despite her own nervousness. 
Whoa now, Heather, let's not overdo. The second soldier lifted the flap of the tarp over the crate on the sled. His eyes widened. He waved over the first man. Can tuna, whispered the second man. You know how long it's been since we've had canned tuna? I tell you what, ma'am, said the first soldier. Forgetting your ID is uh, pretty serious, so we're going to have to charge you for uh, a temporary pass. That'll be, um, four cans of tuna. Heather gushed apologies and gratitude as the soldier wrote on a small yellow pad. He tore off the top sheet. The other soldiers sprayed orange dots on Heather, Susan, and Aaron's right shoulders. They waved them on for the next group in. Oh, man, Heather gasped. I thought I'd pass out. I was so nervous. Oh, couldn't tell, Susan smiled. You're quite the actress. Why, uh, what did she do? asked Aaron. She, um, said her lines very confidently. Susan cast a little glance at Heather. Heather blushed and smiled. Uh, you folks staying overnight, too? asked the old woman. It looks like you brought a change of clothes, she pointed to the loaded sled. Susan noticed the two, then realized the old woman's bundle was rather big for just a half a dozen eggs. She had packed clothes as well. Some insights into the public housing situation would be useful for Heather and her kids. Uh, well, yes, uh, we are. Uh, do you stay in the same place each time? I used to. Uh, the old mill building on Elm. It was abandoned, but the BCC set it up as a flophouse for a contribution day. Lots of folks gots to stay overnight. Cots are okay, but it's cold. I found me a better spot, a rooming house up on Canal Street. A lady there lets me sleep on her sofa. Got a little wood stove in the basement, so at least there's a little heat. Uh, she's a nice lady, a bit of a gossip, but I think that's why she lets me stay there. Likes to talk. You know how some people latch on to you and just gots to talk your arm off? Susan smiled. Oh, I've heard of that. Do you think she'd have room for Heather and her kids? The old woman frowned in deep thought. Yeah, not Simone. She's only got the one room. Uh, but up on the third floor, there's a young couple with two rooms all to themselves. Well, there you go, Susan whispered to Heather. Sounds like there could be options. I'd like to give a shout out to Joanne in the UK for buying me a coffee last week and leaving a nice note. And to Siege Club member Anne for her coffees. But also, kudos to Anne for noticing that the smashed jar of olives in Chapter 19 was a sort of inflection point in Susan's life, a kind of symbolic break with her prior life where she was safe and cared for, but also generally helpless. After the loss of her physical touchstone with her former world, she's on her own, living in a new world in which she is the capable survivor, but on her own. Though not as alone as she might have felt after losing her jar. In her new world, she's actually living out the predicament that Martin found himself in back in Book One, when he was on his way home, but got bogged down trying to help her find a hotel. He, too, was planning to travel home alone as quickly as he could, 
but found himself saddled with an unexpected companion, who was fairly clueless and slowing him down. This time, she's the confident one with the goal, and, like in Book 1, the clueless companion, Heather in this case, is the one who has nowhere else to go and decides to go with the confident one. I don't think I ever had the Susan character actually realize this parallel, which is probably good because she has a lot else on her plate at the moment. As we're getting near to the end of Book 4, I'd like to do a question and answers episode following up to the book, or any of the books, really. If you had a question, or there was something that puzzled you in the story, feel free to send me that question. My email is mick at mick-roland.com. Of course, you could always leave your question as a note when you bought me a coffee on Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, just saying. Thanks for following my story and your support.